Can I Trust the Bible? Today we are going to break down eight reasons why. So I have no idea if this has changed since I was part of the Mormon church at 18, but at that time, circa 90s, 2000 era, I was taught that the Bible was the least trustworthy of all the scriptures. It had been corrupted to the nth degree through years of who knows who translating incorrectly. And since this is part of the Articles of Faith, so long as it's been translated correctly, I don't think probably that much has changed. The problem is, is that even after I left and said that I was no longer and did not believe in the church, I kept that very destructive thought process with me for years, and it kept me from knowing God. That is the first and the most fundamental Christian belief we need to tackle in this series because the Bible is the foundation for literally everything that comes after. You are listening to the Finding Faith Above podcast because we are not ready to give up on Jesus after we left the church. And I am so excited to start this series of the 10 basic Christian beliefs every Exmo and new believer needs to know. Let me tell you why. When I first left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, and was just at that place of wanting to learn what other Christian faiths were all about, I was embarrassed. I remember sitting in a Christian Mothers of Preschoolers Bible study and not even saying a word because I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. I didn't know what a devotional was, why crosses are okay and not wrong, and why they never talked about Heavenly Mother or who even Paul was. I had no idea who Paul was. I didn't know what books were part of the Bible and what are part of the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, or Doctrine and Covenants. I knew I didn't want to be Mormon, but I had no idea how to be or what it was to be a Christian. Was I even a Christian? I didn't even know. I wanted someone to explain things to me like I was a child, not condescending. I am a very capable woman, but I just wanted the very basics, how to believe as a Christian 101. I didn't even know where to look and my fear and insecurities kept me lost for years, 20 years to be exact. So this series is all for you because you are hungry to know his peace. You want to know truth. You want to confidently show up to Bible studies ready to dive in without embarrassment. You want to know what it means to follow Christ, to know him and to make him known. We are diving into what the true gospel is as I have come to learn from him, the beautiful people he has brought into my life, books, and above all, the good book, his word, the Bible. This series, ladies, is for you. All right, so this episode is a little bit late getting out, and let me just tell you why. Because I feel like this is the most important work I have ever done. This is the whole reason why I started this podcast in the first place, is to help you to understand those basic Christian beliefs that were so dang confusing to me. And it all starts with the Bible, because that was the thing that I think probably held me back from knowing God more than anything else. And so today we're going to talk about, can I trust the Bible and why? And we're going to go over eight reasons on how to trust it, why to trust it. And this is going to just honestly just be scratching the surface. There is so much more to this and it is amazing and mind-blowing and so incredibly cool. And I'd love for you guys to get into it more with me. In the fall, we're going to be doing a, uh, a study together, a course that I'm going to have coming out to really dive super deep 
into these basic Christian beliefs. And we're going to go over 10 different concepts that are really going to make the change for you. They're really going to help you to understand how to follow him in a biblical way. And that's what we're going to be diving into. But today we're going to start with just scratching the surface of can I trust the Bible? So eight reasons why. Number one, we're going to start with the very first thing, which I think is just uh, the magnitude of the Bible, of what it is and the impact that is that it's had speaks so much volumes to why we should even believe it in the first place. The Bible is a book, but not just any book. <laughs> this book has spawned countless religions, started wars, healed in miraculous fashion, and lasted in superior quality over thousands of years. The Old Testament of the Bible is the basis for all Abrahamic religions. That's Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Many people don't realize that. It is contested. It is loved. One thing the Bible has never been is inconsequential. It has weight. The Bible contains 66 books by over 40 different authors in three languages over the course of 1,500 years, and they all tell one unified story. That story is a story of sin, redemption through the Messiah, judgment, and God's grace. These books tell the story of Jesus. From beginning to end, it is about Him and the salvation that we are all privy to because of what He did for us from the beginning. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When countries become communist, become under a dictatorship or oppressed, guess what book is the first to be banned or even burned? The Bible. It has power. No matter what you believe about it, that part cannot be denied. And that is number one, just the sheer magnitude of what the Bible is and its impact. Number two is archaeological evidence. Fact or fiction? Within the Mormon church, I don't believe this is a popular area of dispute, but now that you left, you may be wondering, how can you believe any book? How can you know that any scripture is fact, not fiction? Many believe the Bible cannot be taken literally. This is a very popular belief system these days among progressive Christians, that the things of the Bible did not actually happen. They are stories. But archaeological evidence of the region of where the Bible occurred is continually disproving this theory every day. Literally every day. From Assyrian obelisks referring to Hebrew kings, inscriptions found naming Pilate of the New Testament, an ossuary bearing the inscription of the high priest Caiaphas, a steel mentioning the house of David, and entire remains of cities matching the description of the biblical city of Sodom. Every day, archaeological evidence is being found in support of the Bible. The Old Testament history is, well, <laughs> it's old. In fact, that we can find anything is amazing because it is old. The Old Testament is the evidence in many respects in the fact that it has endured like nothing else will with the Dead Sea Scrolls to prove it. And we're going to get into that a little bit more here in a bit. But the New Testament is remarkable. 
Just a little personal history on here. On my senior trip and graduation present from high school that I totally did not appreciate as much as I should have, I went on a trip of a lifetime to Europe. One of my favorite stops was the ancient city of Ephesus. Being a rebellious teenager and someone who had not read the Bible, let alone know who Paul was, I had no idea that this was Ephesus as in Ephesians from the Bible. These places really exist. These places are real places. I walked the streets that Paul walked and didn't even know it. These people lived. Is it fact? The places are fact in droves of very smart individuals who have dedicated their lives to the pursuit of archaeology would agree. Number three is prophecies. How is it one story? The Old Testament, being part of an array of religions, holds weight in its reliability. But the Bible is one story. And not all those Abrahamic religions hold that same theory, but if you really know it, you can see it all the way through. Once you know and understand Jesus, you can see how the whole Old Testament is preparing the world for him. All the way to the first pages of Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate the apple and fell to sin, God covered them with skins, a sacrifice, the very first sacrifice to cover their sin. Foreshadowing on the first couple pages, well, it's thick. In all, there are thousands of prophecies fulfilled with uncanny precision. There are 300 in the Old Testament written over hundreds of years that fulfilled in detail in the life of death, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The odds of that happening are less than one in 2,000 zeros. Is that by chance? I think not. From Jesus's lineage to him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Old Testament prophesied and the New Testament fulfilled. One of my favorite stories is the one from Luke that we looked at from Isaiah 61, and that is in uh, last week's Wisdom Wednesday. Go back and listen to it. It's a really good one. See, they go together, the Old Testament and the New. They give truth when together. How do we know if what we have is what was originally written? We're going to dive into that a little bit more too, but this helps to know the reliability of the truth about Jesus, his life and his teachings. But does it help us to know if we have an accurate copy of what was originally written? Had it been altered? That's going to be the next thing we look at. Number four, what is a manuscript and is it reliable? So let's look at this, the printing press. The printing press, well, I mean, we're talking about a book right now that is, I mean, thousands of years old. Printing press is not. <laughs> so what they did have, they did not have a printing press, but what they did have uh, were scribes. And their job was to make copies with pristine, and I mean pristine, care. These people knew this was the word of God. At times in history, the process of copying was done to this extreme level. If the document became worn or had any potential of inaccurate, of any potential of it being inaccurately read, it had to be copied and the worn copy had to be destroyed. During the process, the scribes would count each word and letter on every single page. If a mistake was made, the whole thing had to be thrown out and started again. This was considered a holy job, and precautions were taken as far as to have the scribes even bathe each time before they wrote the name of the Lord. They did not take this lightly. These painstakingly detailed copies 
are known as manuscripts. The process of analyzing these manuscripts or any ancient document is known as textual criticism. And just so you know, you can probably find someone in the field of textual criticism to back up just about any thought process on any of these things. Uh, but the criticism for the Bible, well, it's pretty profound. In total, there are over 24,000 manuscripts from all over the world, about 5,000 from the New Testament alone. To put that into comparison, there are no original manuscripts of any of the famous poets and playwright William Shakespeare. Did you know that? Did you know that, in fact, there is no hard evidence that he could even write a complete sentence? And due to fears of plays being stolen, uh, plays were not copied or distributed in his time. But nobody debates his existence or his works from only the 1500s, despite evidence to show that his plays were most likely greatly adapted or altered. Did you guys know that? Probably the most accurately preserved ancient document, aside from the Bible, is Homer's works, the Iliad and the Odyssey. There are about 1,000 with about 300 manuscripts from the medieval times. Uh, seeing that 99% of ancient texts are lost to the wind, that's pretty good. We don't typically question its authenticity either. But now again, let's look at the Bible. 24,000 with over 5,000 from the New Testament alone. And think about this. It survived hundreds of years where if found with Christian teachings, you would be killed in a horrific way. It endured through all of that. All of those manuscripts endured even through the hardest of times. And number five, that's going to bring us now to how is it translated? This is the thing that's like probably the biggest hang up for so many of us and for myself included. I mean, this was the thing that really got me. This is my favorite point because translation was always my biggest thing. What I always thought, and I know many people still believe today, is that when a new translation is created, someone uses the King James Version and adapts it to modern English. Another common belief is that it was in the hands of the most corrupt for years and years and years who would have changed it to suit their own needs and to benefit their own, their own religious endeavors. Nope. These manuscripts that we just talked about are the oldest, most ancient writings of the Bible. These are, in fact, what are used to create new translations. Those original, those, I mean, like, old, 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 before anybody had the chance to mess anything up, and they all speak to each other. They all have such great, because of the copying process that we talked about, they all have such great congruity that is what we base everything back to when doing a translation. So a team of very smart individuals, archaeologists, anthropologists, linguistic experts, theologians, and the like, they all come together and pour over the most original ancient documents. They go to the originals. Do all these manuscripts agree 100%? Well, no. And it's not a secret. <laughs> Most are spelling, word order, and synonym adjustments, which are inconsequential. They really don't change the gospel in any ways, but some are a little bigger modifications from manuscript to manuscript. There are certain ones that definitely have some things that are outside of what maybe some of the older ones have, and uh, that's not a secret. So 
Forever, there was a tremendous amount of question around some of the Old Testament writings where there seemed to be many years between the authorship and the when the manuscripts had uh, that we had. And all that changed when they found, this is what we were talking about before, the Dead Sea Scrolls, closing hundreds of years gaps in books like Isaiah. So let me just be clear with this. We had all of these old manuscripts that we were basing all of our translations off of, but we were unsure about some things because there was hundreds of years from when we thought it was authored and the manuscript that actually was in, in the hands of the people doing the translations. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they went through all of these different manuscripts that they found and closed that gap by hundreds of years. But you know what the cool thing was that they found? This is gonna just like knock your socks off. It's so cool there weren't changes. I mean, there were very minor, extreme, minimum changes, but they were the same. They were the same. That the word had been preserved over hundreds of years, and it proved it. It was one of the biggest findings ever in the history of, of biblical archaeology. It was just, I mean, mind-blowing. And they also found something in, for the New Testament very, very similar uh, a few years back where they opened up a wall in a church and uh, there had been kind of a, a break in there that had been sealed up at one time and they found manuscripts in there of all the New Testament that just mind-blowing again. And they were able to put these together. I want to go so much more into translations. And so check out next episode in this series is all going to be about translation because I do think that this is just, ah, it's, it is the coolest thing. And knowing which translation to actually read and what speaks closely to your heart and why you should trust the translation, that's going to be our next part of this series. But let's move on for today and how we can trust the Bible. Number six. How do we know these are the only books that should be in the Bible? The canon. That is what the complete works is called. We hear about additional books floating around around out there and how it was not officialized until Constantine sat around with a bunch of other high-powered dudes and said, this one is in and this one is out, all to their benefit, right? That is what you have heard and in many spaces have been taught. But that is terribly inaccurate. Theologians believe the canon of the Old Testament to have been recognized and complete well before Jesus' time. There are the Second Temple writings. These make up the Deuterocanonical. This is the second canon. That is used in many churches, like the Catholic Church and many Orthodox churches. While these works were used in many respects as historical, but... Their divine inspiration has been called into question, and before and during the Reformation, that was what was discussed. Moreover, did they contribute to the unified, complete story of Jesus and thus divine? And that is why they are not included in most churches today, with the exception of the ones that I had mentioned. The New Testament is the one people truly debate and where Constantine comes in. It is important to remember that before Constantine, if you said you were a Christian, you were killed. Literally, the entire New Testament writings were kept a secret. Among these house churches and the people that made up the early church and the body of Christ, there was uniformity and understanding as to what was scripture. If it was written by an apostle or those that served underneath of an apostle, uh, then they were regarded as such. And by the close of the first century, 
the canon of the New Testament was already accepted. When Constantine came into power and Christians were allowed to be public with their faith, many things concerning Christianity were talked about and solidified. And these councils that we've all heard about, there was the Council of Hippo and all different ones that where they sat around and they talked about the things that they had only been able to talk about before in private. And they were able to officialize and, and really debate like, Things like the Trinity, they did talk about that. And the early church fathers really dove into these things that they felt very strongly about and that were so important in in bringing that unified story of Christ together. One of the big things that these councils did was they did not necessarily vote which books were in, but rather they marked the books that were clearly not written by the author that they said they were penned by or directly countered the teachings of the accepted gospels. Those books they voted out. So for instance, the Gospel of Thomas was one such book. Through serious scrutiny, it was determined that the book of Thomas could not have been written by Thomas. And not only could it not have been written by him, but it said crazy things. (laughs) It said things that were directly against anything else that Jesus uh, was reported to have ever said things such as that females are not worthy of life and needed to become male to be saved. That is not something that anywhere in any other teaching from reliable sources was something that, uh, that Jesus ever said. So, of course, that was voted out. Many things were debated at these councils, but the only Christian books dated confidently to the first century are the ones that made up the New Testament and recognized by Christians as authoritative by the first century's end. Number seven, what does it say about itself? Who authored it? We just talked about uh, them being able to go back to who actually penned these particular works. This gives many people pause. Yes, they were written by men, but didn't God write it? Did man? Well, yes and yes. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. It is God-breathed inspired living water. As Jesus said, it is written when he referred to what God instructed in the Bible. Did men actually pen it? Yes. And the Bible doesn't say any different. It doesn't keep this a secret. In fact, it's very open about it. It, In fact, in the very first few pages, the first chapters of the Bible, it talks about who actually wrote down God's word. Let's look now at Luke 1, 1 through 4. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke doesn't make any qualms about it. He was going to write it out. And it was inspired by God. God breathed for our understanding of what happened. 
And this leads right into number eight. What does it say to you? I think this is one of the most important ones of all of it for understanding and trusting the Bible. And we only know this from when we actually read his word. And I'll say this, when I surrendered my life to God, I was not reading the Bible. I was not close to God. It was a moment of desperation and I was in need of a savior. I prayed for help and my whole life changed, including my ability to read the Bible with clarity and understanding, something I didn't feel like I really ever had before. Where I had once had been lost in the pages and trying to figure out what it said, I now could not get enough. I asked and he answered me in his word. It moves me. It stirs in a place in my soul I cannot even describe. Does that only come with the Holy Spirit? Maybe. Maybe it does. And I think that's a a confusing thing sometimes to know why we don't and why we can't understand his word on quite that same level, why it doesn't touch us quite on that same level until after we've already accepted him. But I think that's part of the holiness of the scripture. But one thing I cannot deny is that his peace, the peace that I get when I read the Bible, that it gives me, it is living water to my soul. And that, friends, is all the proof that I need. So today we have gone over eight reasons why we should trust the Bible. Number one is just the sheer magnitude of what the Bible is and the impact that it has had on the world. Number two is archaeological evidence. Number three are the prophecies and how it tells one story from the Old Testament to the New. Number four is the manuscript's reliability and just the amount of manuscripts that we have to back up the reliability of the Bible. Number five, how is it translated? And like I said, we are going to dive more into this next week because this one I think is just super fun. Number six is how it was determined which by which books should be in the Bible and how was it put together. And that's a lot of historical information. And number seven, who authored it? It was divinely inspired. And number eight is the biggest one, is what does it say to you? And how does it speak to you? And how does it change your life? So with all of these things that we talked about today, I want to tell you, like I said, this is just barely scratching the surface. There are people who dive into each one of these things on intense levels and entire books that you should read on each one of these because it really will change your perspective greatly. And I also wanted to tell you for every one that is for, you're going to find other people who are against. And there is a lot of information out there. But the beautiful thing that I have always found about really wanting to know more about Christ and the Bible and God and his gospel and how it all works together is unlike before when you would be uh, swayed against doing your research and told not to go looking. I want you to go look. I want you to look at it all. I want you to really dive in and come with an open heart with it all because God is evident everywhere and he is going to point you back to exactly where you need to be to be able to find that relationship with him and to build that up. So go research it all. Go take a look at all of it because uh, it's going to bring you to the right place. 
I do hope that this first episode in this series all about our basic Christian beliefs really did help you to understand just how beautiful the Bible is. And uh, if nothing else, I hope that it does inspire you to just go read it. Just read it because it is going to it is going to change your life. Now I want you to go straight to the show notes and I want you to click on the very first link in the show notes that is going to take you to a page that is going to get you signed up to be told all about the cool launch party that we are having for when Christian Beliefs 101 debuts here in the fall because we're going to go so much deeper into all of these things and it's really just going to help you to build that faith, build that trust and those first steps that we need to make in order to get closer to being that, uh, that follower of Christ that we want to be. Okay, so hit subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode in the series. And then also share this with somebody who you know needs to hear it. And I will talk to you.